Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Friday, we're doing another War Room Day. Friday solo podcast with me, your host, Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com. We actually had a lot of questions built up that weren't necessarily for anybody in particular, so I wanted to do a solo podcast, kind of talk about a variety of topics and clear out some of these questions that you guys Took the time to send in questions. Wanted to make sure we uh, had a chance to answer them and get your thoughts on the air here at the Peristyle Podcast. If you have any questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address. Or you can call or text, and the number is 424-254-9141. That's 424-254-9141. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Google Play, TuneIn Radio, uh, Audio Boom, all over the place as far as podcasts go. This was our 10th season recording the podcast, the Parastyle Podcast, so we've been doing a lot of these. Um, so again, if you want to leave us a voicemail, send us a text. It's 424-254-9141. We'd also like to let you know you can subscribe on iTunes. We have our own URL there, itunes.com slash Parastyle Podcast. If you go there, leave us some positive feedback. We love to hear from you. Like, leave us a five star rating. All of that is great stuff, and we do appreciate it very much. It helps grow the show, and it's been growing every year. And it's thanks to all of you uh, that were able to do that. All right. So, like I said, this is going to be a solo podcast, just me, and I want to answer a lot of the questions that have come in um, over really over the last couple of weeks. We've been answering a lot with Coach Harvey Hyde and with Dan Weber, but there was. Some that go into that generic pile that wasn't for anybody in particular, they either say for the solo podcast. And I haven't had a solo podcast for a while. Usually not as much of a need for one when there's no actual games going on. Um, so there have been some stuff uh, obviously going on. I think we talked at length with Dan Weber earlier this week about the United uh, Airlines Memorial Coliseum. So uh, make sure you check out that episode. Uh, our war room, like I said, Friday morning is always great stuff. If you go to uscfootball.com, a lot of insider stuff on USC recruiting and right now recruiting is very important because uh, we are five days away from national letter of intent day uh, signing day. This is actually the second signing period for the class of 2018. The first year uh, mandated by the NCAA that you can have an early signing period back in December. So uh, USC did that sign 10 players. Now there's a kind of a scramble for the last Six, seven, eight, nine, who knows? We're not sure how many, uh, players, uh, USC has or is going to bring in. It's a big official visit weekend that started off today. So make sure you're on uscfootball.com on the peristyle, getting all the up to date stuff about what's going on with the recruiting class. If that's something, uh, that you care about. But yeah, so we'll find out a lot more on Wednesday. We also did a live show. Uh, it's on Facebook live. You don't have to have Facebook though to view it. We uploaded it to our YouTube channel uh it's inside troy on youtube that's how you can follow me on twitter too at inside troy but we also have it up on our facebook page uh if you just search for uscfootball.com but um it's over a little over an hour with myself keely and shotgun it's like a podcast but it's video so you can kind of see us in our reaction 
to what's going on. We took live questions from uh, the audience and, and that's a lot of fun too. So check that one out if you haven't seen that. All right. So that's kind of like the uh, stuff we just wanted to get out of the way to get your paperwork filed. And I think we've done all that. We'll jump right into some of these questions. And uh, we talked about the Coliseum a little bit, like I said, with Dan Weber. Here is uh, a comment following that podcast. I'll play it for you now. Love the uh, program on the uh, Coliseum. But uh, one thing was missing, the connection. The CEO of United Airlines Holdings is Oscar Munoz, who got his BS at USC in 1982. So there's a connection there between United Airlines and USC. Thanks. Yeah, uh, thanks for pointing that out. And certainly, um, I, I know Dan Weber's talked about that on the message boards and in his columns and stuff, but um, I don't think we actually mentioned that on the podcast, but there was, there, there were several connections, uh, there between USC and, uh, and United Airlines. And now, uh, there's, uh, some USC signage. If you go to LAX in the United Terminal, uh, they tweeted out some photos of that too. So, and of course the USC marching band and the song girls and everybody went down there. We put up a video of that as well. So the, I think it was the next day or later that day, they ended up going to LAX. I forget which one. But we have video of that up on uscfootball.com if you want to go check that out. It's also on our, our YouTube page. Just go, you know, search for us on YouTube and, and you can see that. But yeah, thanks for pointing that out. That's certainly been the connection. And it's funny, the, there was a lot, you know, there's people that are, you know, upset about the naming rights and all that. Um, because it's, it's no longer the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. It's United Airlines uh, Memorial Coliseum, even though no one's going to ever call it that, uh, except broadcasters. But at the time uh, when this was announced, it was funny. The timing wasn't all that good because that's when there was like the security guard uh, took a, a passenger, you know, forcibly off a of United flight. So there was all this negative connotation in the in the news about it at the time. So, uh, you know, some time had passed. We're not seeing as many. But I did. Well, I, I don't want to say that. We saw a lot of tweets about, I mean, just general airline complaints because people complain about the airlines all the time. But. Specifically, I think they, they were referring back to that one, even though it wasn't like United people that took him off the plane. It was a, you know, it was TSA agents or whatever, security people from the airport. So, um, but I don't know, whatever. We don't want to get on all that stuff. But thanks for that, pointing that one out. Uh, we have one more uh, voicemail, and then I'll jump into the text and email questions. Here's the voicemail for you. Hey, Ryan, Jeff, class of 1994, just saw your uh, scholarship distribution chart, and I absolutely love it. I've been thinking about a lot about our recruiting numbers, and this is a great way to see it visually. Uh problem is it confirms my concerns that our numbers are still messed up from our sanction years. Um, the question is, are the coaches aware of it, and are they doing anything about it? I'm, I'm sure they are, but all season long we've watched as small issues are never addressed or fixed, so... I don't have a whole lot of faith in, in anything being done. Uh, but from the chart, it looks like we have seven receivers in the sophomore class. Is that a problem? Well, why did we redshirt all of them two years ago and not redshirt any of them last year? The coaches are just compounding the problem. I mean, why did we give scholarships to kickers last year? Not to say that they didn't deserve it because they absolutely did deserve it, but we're losing two uh, two scholarship numbers for this year. And there are three to four top 300 players in this class who want to come to USC. If we made them a priority, they would come to USC. The problem is right now we're keeping on on, on hold. We're saying, hey, 
if we have the numbers, we want to bring you in, and they're going to go somewhere else. They're going to go to UCLA. They're going to go to Arizona State. Uh, and that we're not going to be able to keep up with the bigger programs. We only have 15 scholarships this year, and in two years we only have 15 scholarships in those years as well. So there's going to be a problem. Hey, Ryan, Dan Weber, Harvey Cotton, you guys do a great job. Uh, can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about this. Thanks for the fight on. All right, well, thanks for that question too, and I, I pulled up. So what he's talking about, if you go to uscfootball.com, there's uh, some nav bars across the top where it says news, boards, football. If you go to the last one, it's just dot, dot, dot. Go down to scholarship distribution chart. And so um, re- recreated that one. They, 247 Sports, where we are, 247 Sports has its own kind of version. But uh, we wanted to make our own. It was working well before. And so you can check it out. It's color-coded and everything. It's a you know basically a spreadsheet format. So that's what um, I think it was Jeff. I'm sorry. I hope I <laughs> screw that up. Uh, he was talking about in his question. And OK, so as far as the sanctions still having an impact, I would agree to some extent. But I think as of this year, it's pretty much over. Um, it's the distribution on this page is a lot better than it was the last couple of years. If you looked at this one for 2017, with such a small senior class and, and big everywhere else. Now there's some weird spots, but I think you're always going to have weird spots no matter what. Um, he brought out, yeah, there's, uh, <laughs> there's seven, uh, sophomore wide receivers listed. So, um, that's a little strange, you know, and, and five of them are redshirt sophomores. Now one of them, Keyshawn Young, uh, you know, that was an injury thing that was kind of, kind of got piled. He got jumped into that, that, but, you know, in that group, but, you know, Joseph Lewis or Randall Grimes, like, did either of them need to play the, the few plays that they did last year? Uh, probably not. So, yes, I don't get why two years in a row, well, one year you redshirt just about everybody except Michael Pittman, and then the next year you don't redshirt anyone. So now they're all kind of lumped together. So, uh, yeah, that, that's a little strange, but for the most part, it's pretty evenly distributed. If uh, distributed, like, if you look at the offensive line, there's 17 dudes and, you know, there's four, 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 and five. Like, that's pretty good. Um, I think it's a lot better. Now, the junior class is only 15, uh, but I'm not, you know, wouldn't be too worried about that. It's not when the senior class was like 12 or 13 or whatever this year. I think that's a, a bigger issue. It's not like you can only bring in 15 guys. There'll be some attrition. There'll they'll be some, you know, maybe they bring in a, a, another transfer, things like that. So, I, I yeah, I mean, really, like, the the effects of the sanctions, like, there could be, you know, small impacts for years and years and years, you know, but I think for the most part, things have kind of settled out. If you looked at everybody's scholarship charts, they're all going to have little quirks in them and stuff. But I think at this point, uh, I don't, I, I just don't like it when people try to use that as an excuse. Like, well, it, it shouldn't be an excuse for anything. Like, I think you've had enough years to kind of even things out. And I think they've done that. And any, um, quirks that you see in there, any kind of, uh, bubbles that that could pop at some point, like the seven wide receivers in the sophomore class. I think that's of your own doing. It's not because of sanctions. Like you just said, if, you know, if they didn't redshirt, you know, if they didn't redshirt two of the guys and then uh, redshirted the two guys from last year, it'd be spread out a lot better. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, self-inflicted. If you're going to look at that as a wound, that would be more of a self-inflicted uh, one. But um, thanks for that. And, uh, oh, as far as the kickers and stuff go, yeah, that we talked about this a little bit on our show, but basically 
giving two kickers scholarships last year. The one you give to Reed Budrovich doesn't count against your initial counters, and that's fine. Uh, Chase McGrath, because he was a freshman, it is an initial counter. So that actually takes one of your 25 away this year. Now, for this year, it doesn't really matter because the, the big number you have to look at is the 85 number. That's what USC is pushing the limits on because only 13 or 12 or 13 guys were graduating. Um, I think signing day will learn a lot more, uh, depending on how many people, uh, Clay Helton signs to add to the 10. Uh, as of right now, if you look at the chart, uh, there's 82 guys on scholarship with the 10 players that have already signed, meaning there's only three left. Now we know that's not going to be the case. Um, there's four guys verbally committed. Uh, you, I mean, they might not get all four of those guys, but they're going to bring in more. So it's probably going to be not three or four. It's probably going to be like six, seven, eight, nine. So there'll be some attrition. We just don't know exactly from where. It could be with five guys on scholarship on special teams, one or two of those guys, uh, former walk-ons uh, who are you know, seniors that are graduating, potentially moving on. So there's there's uh, a bunch of stuff like that um, you know, that we could see. Like a Grant Moore uh, was a linebacker that got a scholarship. Now, he walked with the seniors. Now, he's, technically, he's a redshirt senior, but, um, you know, if my guess is he walked with the seniors, uh, you know, graduation, he's graduated. He, he, you know, he might not be on the roster anymore. You know, he could be where we, we just don't know. And we haven't had a chance to talk to Clay Helton at this point. We will be able to do that on signing day. Um, they did not have any sort of, uh, post season press conference like they normally do, which I, you know, I have no idea why, but they, they did not. So there's a lot of kind of unanswered answered questions. I think as of Wednesday, uh, we will know. A heck of a lot more. Okay. I'm going to try to go through these questions from the bottom, which means like the older ones. Uh, I tried to, there was, there were some that were just, they're out of date that I got rid of, but, um, I'll try to go through these quickly. I know you guys sp- spent some time, uh, to write these and, and text us and email us. So I want to make sure we read as many of them as possible. This one's from Ken. He's 1968 USC all American swimmer and a football fanatic. Ken. Congrats, man. That's awesome. Uh, so big time swimmer, man. I wish I could swim. You see those guys that can swim. They have that those V backs and stuff. Uh, now I can swim, but I'm like, I can't like, uh, go for like laps and laps and laps like these guys do. Uh, but I want to, I should get into that. Let's see. I wish you would mention the down, uh, the downward hand motion of Sam Darnold just before he snaps the ball. The defense thus knows when to charge. They never change up on that. Hey, Ken, that's a really interesting point. And I think it's a good point. Um, there, there was, and I'm not saying it was just that. I think there were some deficiencies as far as USC tipping its pitches, uh, at times. And I think there are certain teams that really took advantage of that. I think Washington State and, uh, Hercules, uh, Mataafa, uh, took, you know, advantage of that. Um, some of that stuff, you know, it, there's the, there's little signs and little things that you can, little tells that you can kind of pick up on. But I think that's a really good, point um i think if that's a real problem you're not going to see him being doing that in the nfl of course he's going to be under center a lot more too but uh thanks for pointing that one out and uh not yeah nice thanks for sending that in jackson sf wrote in thank you for your podcast i am a quote-unquote doom and gloomer so if you don't know what that means a quick thing there's usually two kind of camps that everyone makes fun of on the peristyle and well pretty much everywhere on twitter facebook if you're a usc fan there's the doom and gloomers. That means, you know, the sky's always falling. Everything's wrong. The coaches suck. Everybody sucks. And there's the sunshine pumpers that everyone's great. 
it doesn't matter who our head coach is, he's awesome and all their players are the best. So uh, Jackson's a doom and gloomer. Being a USC fan is so frustrating because I feel like it's Groundhog Day and I keep hearing, I got you, babe, every day. Yet I will be following USC football. Today is Groundhog's Day, by the way. So this is, uh, I'm reading this at the right time. Uh, yet I will still be following USC football until my dying day. Being a fan of USC does not require the acceptance of mediocrity. We lucked out and getting Coach Carroll with no ties to the program other than his daughter being an undergrad. Yet my biggest fear throughout the coaching stints of Pete through Clay is that there hasn't been a great pipeline of assistants who could eventually become a head coach. Who under Pete was a sure thing? Who under Clay is a sure thing? Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, Mike Leach, Bob Stoops have all had a great pipeline of assistants. Pete could have had Saban's success if he had gone out and brought in top assistants when his assistants left. He did not. I wish Clay would go out and hire top guys this offseason. Then I believe uh, he would could become successful. Yet he won't ever do this. This is why I believe Clay will never be a successful uh, will never be successful at USC. If a coaching change is made next offseason, I could see hiring Bob Stoops as a step in the right direction. Not that he would lead us to a title, yet he would finally infuse a pipeline of quality assistants who could become future head coaches into the program. Thank you, Jackson SF. Um, hey, Jackson. So some good points in there. I think I liked Pete Carroll's assistants early in his career, but my my assessment of what Pete Carroll and like you know eventually his downfall was that he became obsessed with creating his own coaching tree, and I think you've seen that in Seattle and stuff too, where. Instead of going out, if you lose, you know, he had good assistants that were lost, uh, hired other places, which is great. That's, I mean, that happens all the time. There's nothing you're going to do to prevent that. Uh, so maybe like Iowa or something, you keep your great assistants a long time, but you're at USC. It's high profile. They get success. People are going to try to poach your guys. Besides the whole, uh, Norm Chow thing, which I definitely thought was a mistake. Um, I think Pete really wanted to, uh, create coaches like, they became graduate assistants. By the end of his tenure, most of his coaches were like former people that were already on the staff. And I think at USC, it's like you can do that a little bit, but you'd rather go out and get, you know, the best whatever special teams coach or get the best running backs coach instead of kind of promoting from within all the time. I think you'd need to do a mix of that. Um, but you know, Nick Saban's not doing all of that. And I think Pete Carroll liked doing that. Now the thing for Pete Carroll is. He'd won championships. He's been successful. So you'd trust him to do that if you're going to trust anybody. I still think he did it, you know, too much. Uh, when you're doing it with a, a, a head coach like Clay Helton, who doesn't have a lot of experience himself, it's a lot harder to, um, buy the idea of, Hey, let's pr- promote from within because it's not like they're learning from this proven system. You're, it's a, it's a evolving system. It's, it's someone that you're trying to grow. So I agree. I think you want to pop in really good assistant coaches from around the country. They did that once with Dylan McCullough and I thought it worked really great for a year. He gets poached and uh, we'll see who he ends up replacing him with. But, you know, and there's other questions about this and we talked about this a lot about, you know, Brian Ellis and Kiri Colbert and all of that hirings from within. Um, but, you know, it's, I think it's harder to do that when it's not like, well, you know, three years ago, these guys were on staff when USC won a national championship. Like, okay, that makes more sense than, Three years ago, they weren't around. They weren't even coaching. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's some, some good points there. And to be successful, I, I do like if you can develop some coaches, you hire some coaches and bring them in. And sometimes you have to, you know, have a longer tenure there to kind of, uh, keep that going. Um, and, and find your, your next head coach, uh, on staff. 
it didn't stop USC from finding their next head coaches from that were on the staff. That's all they've hired since Pete Carroll or head coaches that were on staff, you know, or used to be on staff um, under Pete Carroll or, you know, Lane Kiffin and Stark and all those guys. So that's what USC's kind of been doing, but they weren't like great coaches were in there, you know, um, you know, like Kirby Smart is like a great defensive coordinator. And now it looks like he's a, a pretty good head coach bringing his team to the national championship. You know, I think uh, you're trying to do that. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt was a great defensive coordinator. Came out back to, to Alabama. And now he's the head coach of Tennessee. So um, I think those are better. I mean, at least there's some track record there. You've got titles, you've got rings, and you're under uh, an amazing head coach. I mean, you want to get, if you're in the NFL, you want to get someone that's been under Belichick. Why? Because they've been awesome for 18 years. You know, like that's why. All right. Uh, thanks for that one. SC List in Seattle. My comment today concerns members of the current USC roster who appear to be an afterthought. Each year after signing day, the talk is about the new recruits and how they may compete for a position in the upcoming season, particularly as it relates to the cornerbacks. We had a decent class last year. Guys like Langley, Johnson, Godfrey, and Lockett will certainly be in the mix. What is your take on one of these guys as a potential starter? Fight on SC less in Seattle. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's happens all the time where, Hey, look at the recruiting class. Can this guy come in and start? And, you know, most of the time they don't, uh, it, you know, you want to see those guys that maybe redshirted last year. So, um, you know, we've seen Isaiah Langley play, uh, you know, Lockett got hurt. We want to see more of him, but like a Greg Johnson and, uh, and Godfrey, you know, redshirting and, and, you know, Godfrey had that, uh, surgery and stuff, you know, before, uh, he got to USC. Yeah. There's a lot of potential there. I think just because a player has been there a year or two does not necessarily mean they're getting better. That's up to the coaches to develop these guys, especially guys, uh, that were, that were injured. So, um, if guys don't develop, then you have to put some of that on the coaches. Now, not every player's got a high ceiling and got a lot of room to grow, but I think in general, you have enough players. You mentioned four different guys. You want to see a couple of them, uh, develop. You, know, you can't say they're all bust or they all like, or have already hit their ceiling. So I think that's the kind of situation where, yeah, like are the coaches doing their job and they advancing these guys' careers? Are they making them better? And I think we'll know a lot more. There's a bunch of guys last year that redshirted. We might see them. We'll certainly see them in the spring and then, you know, summer and the fall. Have they got better? Uh, if a bunch of them got better, did none of them get better? Um, and I think that's going to be reflective on the coaching staff. You see a whole bunch of these guys like, wow, we didn't even think of this guy and he's doing an amazing job. Like a Tyler Vaughn's last year, he redshirted and I think he just needed some time transition to college. Boom. And he is breaking out. And so you're like, Hey, Pat T. Martin on the back, man. Hey, you did a good job developing this guy. He redshirted. People forgot about him. And now he's like, you know, one of the better players on the team. So you want to see that from a lot of these guys. And we'll see if that happens, especially in the secondary. You want to see some development there. We just haven't seen a lot of that, I would say. People kind of came in and they've been the player they have been. Uh, and then, you know, have they grown a lot? I, I, it's hard to say. I, I wouldn't say I've seen a whole lot of growth uh, from there so far, plus a couple of safeties. Um, you want to see too that, uh, you know, they came in last year and can they be breakout players this year? USC is going to need someone and we'll see if that happens. Okay. Next up is Don. Uh, he said, I'm going to concentrate on the positives on defense. Uh, many returning starters and improved John Houston, healthy Porter Gustin, hopefully Levi Jones will see the field. 
the defensive line returners plus the red shirts, Marlon and Brandon, so Marlon, Tui Pelotu, and Brandon Peely, should lead to a, excuse me, sorry about that, should lead to a very aggressive and enjoyable defense to watch. Do you think that Levi, Bubba, and Tefele will be part of the regular rotation? Okay, so I think Levi Jones is going to be in the mix somehow, some way. Um, Bubba Bolton's got a shot. There's Isaiah Polamau. Um, you know, I, I think one of those two guys is going to be be in there. And then Jay Tefele, uh, I liked him a lot. Uh, probably the best of the defensive linemen coming in. He redshirted. Um, I think it'll be important for to watch him in the spring and see uh, what he's able to do. If he can have that kind of moment, offseason moment. If uh, Kenichi Daisy was able to develop him during the redshirt year, uh, I think they all got a shot to be. Um, I think Levi Jones probably the most likely of the three that you mentioned. And do you see any of the incoming freshmen contributing by midseason? At least we'll be able to enjoy half of a game when the defense is on the field. Thanks for all the work you do. Would be nice of uh, Coach Hyde to sit down with Clay Helton and give him some advice. Um, I think those guys have talked. Well, I know they've talked because he came and uh, spoke at uh, one of the Pasadena quarterbacks clubs. I don't know if Clay Helton's uh, asking advice of uh, – <laughs> Of Harvey Hyde, but I'm sure, you know, Harvey would give it and I'm sure he has when they, when he's talked to him. The incoming freshman, um, as far as contributing, I think Marquis Step has a chance. So just, I'm going to look at the guys that have signed. I don't think any of the offensive linemen, maybe a Caleb Tremblay, like because he's a JC transfer. Um, yeah, the other guys, it, I think it's going to be, you know, Amon Rossi Brown, he's not signed, but I think he's got a good shot. And then Pallier, Neoteote, uh, at, at the linebacker spot, I think of, he's probably got the best chance, uh, of those guys from there. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, there should be, I think it's gonna be a really interesting spring football, uh, with some of the early enrollees. And then, of course, uh, summer workouts and fall camp. I mean, some big names to replace on the offensive side, but really some holes they want to fill too on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, we'll go from there. All right, here's Dave and Glendora. Some of the things that went on this past season in most of the games were beyond perplexing to me. Examples, the punt return situation. Actually, the whole special teams in general were bad. I, hard to disagree with you, Dave. The lack of adjusting to what opposing defenses were, go, were doing during games. The complete lack of hurrying to run plays in the third and fourth quarter of the Cotton Bowl. The continual short yardage run plays in the middle of the line, timeouts taken at really bad times, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I've been around high school football where most of my life, and I've worked with some mediocre high school coaches and wouldn't, that wouldn't put up with this stuff. All right. I've been to a lot of high school games. It's way too, like, I don't, I mean, even if you go to St. John Bosco or modern day, I mean, you still get like, Kickers that can, you know, there's so many mistakes in, in high school football. Like, I, I don't think that's a really fair comparison. I get what you're saying, but man, you got, I, you know, you go to games like we do and we're filming and, and stuff. There's just some weird crap that happens all the time. I've been around, uh, so he said, this is USC. This is supposed to be big time college football and we are seeing Bush League coaching at times. This is basic stuff from Dave. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think that's a real fair comparison to high school stuff, but I get what you're saying. And, you know, some of the stuff is, is learning on the job. Some of it's, I, I think there's a lot of different factors at play. And I think that's why, uh, some people were hoping that Clay Helton would go outside of the coaching tree and, and bring in some, some new blood, uh, so to speak for assistant coaches. 
Because if you're bringing in people that are internal um, and there are problems that you're seeing, and I think a lot of people are, the internal people aren't most likely to fix them because they are around the problems already. And you you hire from within, and, you know, you're looking for, you get your first full-time job, uh, you know, is Kerry Colbert want to go in there and go, here's what everything is wrong. Now that I'm a full-time assistant, I can tell you, speak my mind instead of quality control assistant. Like, I don't think it's going to work that way. You're, you're kind of happy to be there and you obviously want to contribute, but most of the times you're not there to rock the boat and just come in guns blazing and tell everyone how they're doing a terrible job. Like that usually doesn't uh, help your future job prospects at that place. So um, usually when you're a new hire, you're kind of, unless it's like you're a new hire, but you've done this job for 25 years somewhere else and they bring you in and you're like, okay, here's what's going to happen. That, that I get. Yeah. You could come in guns blazing. Then if this is your first full-time assistant coaching job uh, at a division one school, then no, you're not going to come in there and tell everyone what they should be doing. So I think Dave, that's why a lot of the people were kind of upset at some of the, uh, hires as far as coaches go because you'd like someone to come in and have different ideas. Dylan McCullough came in and had all these different ideas about ball security and different drills and they ran them and they didn't fumble the ball. And you're like, okay, that makes sense. You know, um, I think it goes back when you're talking about hiring athletic directors, USC hires, former players, Mike Garrett was, it was an associate athletic director and he was in the, in the building and, and had done stuff before. So at least he had experience with Pat Hayden, even though all that business, you know, experience and, and broadcasting had never been an administrator like that. Lynn Swan has never been anything close to that. So are they going to come in and make big changes? Or are they going to come in and pretty much do what you've been doing? Because they've never done the job before. They're learning from, from the people that are there. If you hired some guy that has 25 years experience and he came in and saw like a whole bunch of stuff going great, he'd be like, this is awesome. This is what we used to do. And he saw a few things going wrong. He's like, you know what? This is wrong. Let's do it this way. And you make some changes and you make it better. Um, so I, I get what you're saying, Dave. Um, and there's, we'll see. I mean, I think the coaches are, they want to get better every year. And I think Clay Helton wants the team to get better every year. We'll see if some of that stuff, uh, ends up getting addressed. Okay. We have, uh, Harold NorCal Trojan. Is Coach Helton being strategic by not bringing in top shelf big name assistants? If things get dicey, he would be constantly looking over his shoulder at the, his possible replacement that he hired. Thanks for the great coverage, Harold. Uh, hey, Harold. So that's kind of the opposite of what, uh, you know, the other uh, caller had said, where you want to bring in people that uh, you can build your coaching tree and, and potentially have the next head coach. And it's certainly there are two different philosophies. We don't know exactly uh, why this is. I think, I think there's a, a sense of being safe, being comfortable. Um, you know, Clay Helton, it, it's a job that, um, he didn't have the resume for. I mean, I, he would admit that, that, you know, this was not like his resume as a, as a college coach, never being a head coach before probably wouldn't be something that unless he was at USC at the time, like he was, he wouldn't have been hired by USC. He's not someone you'd go out and pick him out and like, Hey, that's, that's going to be our next head coach. He was, you know, he was here. He showed what he could do here. And it impressed Pat Hayden enough that he, they hired him to be the head coach. So, um, we don't know exactly why, but I think some of it is like you are learning on the job. Things are new. It's not, maybe not about, uh, being threatened by somebody else, but it's more about being comfortable and people that you know and people that you trust, um, that, that he's hired. So I, I still think 
it upsets. I know it. it, it I don't think it upsets a lot of the USC fans that, Hey, just go out and get some big name guys. Um, and you know, obviously Clay Helton's not really doing that right now, but is it because he's worried about looking over his shoulder, getting replaced? I don't think so because I mean, I don't know if he's, if he's doing that, then it just doesn't seem to make much sense because he's already looking over his shoulder. Who cares who replaces you? It's not like if he hires some great, you know, offensive coordinator, defense, whatever it is that could be the next head coach. That's who you're worried about. You're worried about just keeping your job, um, not who's going to replace you. So, but thanks, Harold, uh, for that. Certainly a little diff- different take than what we had, uh, earlier. We got Don. I noticed that you and shotgun use pro football focused statistics often regarding player efficiency. Is there a pro football focused stat showing the efficiency of play calling by coaches? Comparing old footage to current footage of USA football, the older footage indicated good play calling, offensive line moving in unison, blocking by running backs, etc. While the newer footage I play indicated players making plays as opposed to good play calling. Is there a stat for play calling efficiency? Uh, Chris Trevino does a lot of that stuff for us too. Um, you know, we try to use, it's a, a new tool that, I mean, really new to me, but I like it. Uh, I like the data that it provides. I needed to dive into it more than I have, but Chris Trevito has been doing a really good job of it. Uh, David Woods, who's my uh, co-host on the podcast of champions. We talk about the pac 12. He's really into advanced uh, stats. I actually asked him about that for you, Don. And he said, no, there's really no kind of uh stat like that where you can compare which play calling is better from year to year. So sorry. There's, I mean, that's really about individual players. They go deep down into, you know, each player, what they do, all, I mean, they break it down by every position and, and every player, which is really interesting. Now, I'm not saying all of it's hundred percent right and perfect or whatever, but there's a lot of data there that you can dig through. But, uh, according to Dave, there's no data that he knows of, uh, for play calling. Curtis in Marino Valley, what you guys do? Oh, I'm sorry. What do you guys think about Brandon Peely playing offense? Uh, we have plenty of big four star defensive tackles in the recruiting class and coming back from last year. At fullback, he would be bigger, more powerful, and athletic over anyone we would have to block. Probably hard as hell to tackle at his size. He can catch and throw also. Please do not waste all that size and talent on the defensive line. We need to get stronger on offense. No player in NCAA can match that size and athleticism. Fight on. Curtis and Marino Valley. Curtis, ain't happening. Um, first of all, USC doesn't use a fullback. Uh, if he moves and he played fullback, like as much as Ruben Peters did, you're talking about like five plays all year. So no, it's just not really a important part of the USC offense. And I don't see them, uh, doing that. And I think, you know, USC has plenty of talent on offense. Like you don't need to drag people from defense over. I think in general, USC probably underachieved on the offensive side. Like there's more NFL talent. There's more, uh, bigger playmakers on the offensive side that underperform than the defensive side. Uh, I think the defensive side did more with less, but taking a big guy like that who could, you know, really have a big year this year at defensive tackle and having him play fullback. I just don't see it. If USC was running fullback stuff all the time or whatever, you know, that'd be one thing, but they don't ever do that. So um, he would just be sitting in obscurity. They have a, you know, walk on former walk on and Ruben Peters, former, you know, linebacker, or whatever, like Ruben Peters, uh, playing the fullback spot. And if you look at shotguns, um, play charts, uh, after every game, he's rarely, rarely in there, uh, on offense. 
Okay, let's go to Jack H. That's kind of long. I'll try to paraphrase it a little bit. He said, what coach worth of salt would believe he can beat a good defensive team by running shotgun only? And what offensive coordinator doesn't know the value of throwing passes to your backs, particularly to slow down any blitzing by an opponent's defense? If you run shotgun all the time and then go under center because you want to run a QB sneak, it kind of tips your play selection uh, unless you have the bleep to pass. Um so he kind of goes on uh, talking about some specific uh, instances in the Ohio State game against uh, UCLA. So, Jack, I, I think if you watch uh, a lot of these spread teams, they're out of the shotgun all the time. It's very, you know, it's just different than what uh, older college football was or what the way USC was. Now, there's other teams that that, that go under center a lot more. Um, that's just not the way USC is now. It's just... It isn't. Um, you see plenty, you know, watch the NFL draft stuff. Um, watch when they're analyzing quarterbacks. And what is one of the things they say when a quarterback comes from a spread team? Uh, like full, full spread. He never has taken a shotgun snap. I mean, a, a under center snap before. Cause now in high school, uh, you, you go to Texas, like you're seeing that everywhere. There's a lot of schools that do that all the time. So he's, you know, these quarterbacks literally have never been under center in their whole lives. Um, you know, maybe for a kneel down or something. And and if you watch shotgun, he he charts those out. There's a handful of plays USC goes under center uh in the year. I agree with you. You don't want to tip your your cap. I'd like to see them go under center more. I I really hate watching when a spread team has fourth and inches, and they're in the shotgun or the pistol. It just bugs me, you know. Um, so I would like to see a little bit more of that, but I wouldn't expect it because that's just not the way this offense was designed. Uh, we got another one from Don. Coaches seem to get excited about Juco transfers saying they can contribute right away. The question I'd assume that the competition, uh, that Tefele and others face in USC practice would be better than a Juco transfer would have faced in a junior college game. Is that year of growth more important than competition? And does that mean the strength and conditioning at USC is inferior? To that of a JUCO transfer, why would uh, why would a four slash five star redshirt freshman be less prepared than a JUCO transfer? Is the lack of contact an issue? If so, that appears an easy issue to correct. Thanks for keeping us informed, Don. Okay, yeah. So it, you know, if you're comparing like a redshirt freshman uh, who did a bunch of scout team stuff, um, yeah, you're at USC. You're 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 a Division one college. You have the strength and conditioning programs. You uh, theoretically, you got, you know, better strength, better, um, nutrition, all that kind of stuff, but you aren't playing. And if you're talking about a Juco transfer, uh, you know, they might be in a, a program for three years or you're playing for two years, uh, out of high school where you're playing 20 games or whatever, you know, so, um, that's definitely different. And I think you would take someone with that much, even though it's not against Notre Dame and Ohio State, he's played. So, uh, and it's an extra year. So I think that's part of, of what's going on. And, you know, sometimes a player gets into his third year at USC and he hasn't developed. And so that's part of the reason you need to go out and get a JC guy because you had a dude in at USC that was been there two or three years, redshirted, didn't play, blah, 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 and moves on. And then they just didn't really, um, and, you know, they didn't really develop. So. Uh, part of that is, is kind of a quick fix. And, and some of it's, you know, it's more competition too. We'll see. You know, you got Caleb Tremblay coming in. You got Jay Tefell. There's, there's guys that are going to be competing, not necessarily that they're playing the same spot, but, you know, competing on the defensive line, completing to get into that 
really short rotation that Clay uh, Clancy Pendergast uses on defense. So uh, Tefeli, like I mentioned before, I think he's one of those dudes could, that could break out. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see. We'll have to see how he really developed. It's hard to watch these guys that are redshirting. You know, they're wearing black jerseys. You don't know who they are. They're, they're, they're especially linemen. They're far away from where we get to stand and practice. So it's not like we get this great idea of how great, you know, how much improved they are uh, when they're running on the scout team uh, far away from us. So we'll see them in the spring. And uh, we'll get we'll get to watch them in drills. We'll get to watch them a little closer and and see how guys like that have developed. And we'll report back on it for you. Reno SC texted in. I want to know how warm is Clay Helton's seat going to be in the football season? You know, it is amazing. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a sunshine pumper or if you're a doom and gloomer or somewhere in the middle, which I think probably most people are. How much talk and how much chatter we get about that kind of stuff. Um about Clay Helton in the hot seat. And you feel, you know, you feel bad. I mean, Clay's like one of the nicest guys around. He won the Rose Bowl. He won the, the Pac 12 this year, won 11 games. And it, and it's not like I don't understand it, but it's a really strange, like this, like the circumstances that have got USC here to where it was from whatever Pat Hayden was doing, you know, like why did you hire it? I mean, it started like you hired Lane, you hired Sark, which was, you know, really questionable you have to you know all the weird stuff you have to fire a midseason you got to replace it you didn't you didn't hire Orgeron when you had a chance to and and people argue both sides of that it led to Stark who led to you know only coaching for 15 games at USC to Clay Helton getting a second interim shot and then beating UCLA and then becoming the permanent head coach and people are kind of up in arms and losing a bunch of games right after that and going one and three to start the next season and all of that like it just kind of set it up where for a lot of USC fans, there was a bad taste in their mouth about Clay Helton. Then he has success and there's still this bad taste. And he, you know, of course there's, there'd been missteps and stuff like that. But the the question is though, what kind of hot seat is it on? Um, I, I think it's, there's gray areas. Like you win the South and don't win the PAC 12. Like if you win the PAC 12, like there's no hot seat, right? Like, um, even though some people were clamoring for that even this year because of lost to Notre Dame and stuff like that, it depends how you lose and all that kind of stuff. But if they don't win the, the Pac 12 South, I, you know, would I be shocked if Lynn Swan made a move? No, but we just don't know enough about Lynn Swan as an athletic director. He doesn't know enough about himself as an athletic director because this is his first time ever doing it. But the feeling you get and there's rumblings and rumors and all that kind of stuff is that he, it does bother him. To lose to Notre Dame like that. It bothers him to lose to Ohio State. It's important to win the Pac-12. And Lin Swan made that clear even when USC won the Rose Bowl. So I, I think the stuff that's important to fans, which are usually the high-profile things, people will forget about Washington State more than losing to Notre Dame or Ohio State. So if if he's able to keep the fans happy, he's probably going to keep Lin Swan happy. Is, is, I think that's the way I would look at it right now. If fans are upset because like they lost to a rival, like if Chip Kelly beats USC next year, like all those things that are going to make fan fans outraged will probably also outrage uh, Lin Swan. And so if he doesn't have like a Pac-12 title to kind of uh, rely on, then all bets are off. And I don't know what's going to happen. It would be after three years. Would you normally fire a head coach three years in who won a Rose Bowl and won the Pac-12 and then, you know, maybe had a kind of a bad year? Probably not, but this is a very unique situation. So, I really wouldn't be shocked. Now, who knows? Lin Swan might be like, 
hey, I'm, I'm with them long term. Um, even if they struggle next year and they go seven and five or something, he, he keeps them around. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But like I said, we, we don't really have a track record on Lynn Swan as an athletic director because he's never done that job before. Matt says, so I look at the 85 man roster and it appears that we can't add any more in the early, uh, anyone, add anyone more in the early February signing period unless we have some transfers. Who on the team last season is going to be transferring? Matt. Okay. So it's not the early, fe- well, I guess, I guess you're going to talk about early February. It's in early February. It's February 7th. That is signing day. Um, but the early signing period is the one December 20th through 22nd. Now, who's leaving? Like, yeah, we, we, we don't know who's leaving. We, there's a bunch of that we know guys will be leaving. There's going to be some attrition. We just don't know how much or how many. Like I said, we'll find out more on signing day and we'll ask about some specific guys to Clay Helton. I think Shotgun talked about, um, this on our live show yesterday, uh, looking at it. A lot of the guys that people have speculated on are in class right now. So are you expect them to be going anywhere? I mean, who knows? So, uh, we'll, we'll talk to Clay out and we'll probably get a better idea on Wednesday about all of that, but, uh, it should be interesting kind of going forward to see what, um, you know, to see what ends up transpiring, but there's definitely going to be some attrition. There always, there always is. There's guys you don't expect. Did you expect, um, Deontay Burnett to leave? No, didn't really expect him to leave. Uh, so, you know, other guys you did, uh, him, not so much. Okay. We got one. This is a little long, but Jeff, the math teacher from Fountain Valley is always very, uh, I love his stuff. So I, I want to read what he has to say. Just re- so this was coming in about when the assistant coaches were hired. So he said, read the news about Kerry Colbert. He's going to be coaching tight ends, tight ends. Am I missing something here? Well, real quick, he, he actually was an offensive, like assistant, uh, helping with tight ends before he was, a. Uh, uh, you know, analyst. And when he was a, when he was a GA before, I believe he was helping with tight ends at the time. Instead of putting him in charge of wide receivers, which would be, he'd be great at and where he could relieve team Martin of some of his extra duties and allow him to focus on becoming a great offensive coordinator. Well, he is also ho- coaching the inside receiver. So he is taking a little bit of the burden off of T Martin. How's that all going to work? I don't know. We've never seen USC split up the duties like that. Um, he said, and now instead of dealing directly with the John Baxter problem, his tight ends and his special teams both drastically underperformed and he doesn't recruit. Helton is enabling Baxter to continue to hamper the program with one move. Helton is essentially assured that none of the following staff roles will be filled by someone who can excel at his job. OC, because T has too many things to focus on and he doesn't have the ability to just be a great, uh, at being in charge of the offense. Wide receiver coach, because this coach can't focus on developing the wide receivers since he has too many other jobs. Tight end coach, because even though I love Colbert, this isn't his specialty. Special teams coach, because we're leaving somebody in place who has floundered despite being given incredible resources and opportunities. This might just be the last draw for me with Helton. There are a lot of things he's great at, but he continues to refuse sane advice and insists on doing the same, uh, doing things the wrong way. I hate the thought that we just have to grin and bear it for the 2018 season until things collapse uh, enough for somebody to, to care enough to make smart decisions about this program. And that's where I am right now as a USC fan alum. Pardon the rant and fight on as always, Jeff, the math teacher in Fountain Valley. Okay, um, so I get what you're saying. So T does have a lot on his plate. Maybe Kiri Colbert doing the inside receivers will take a little bit off of that. 
I think he's done a really good job, though, at developing the wide receivers. You look at the guys in the NFL from USC. They've all, you know, blossomed that this last year. Juju's been great. Um, I think T can handle the, that kind of stuff. He's also probably the hardest worker on recruiting. I mean, he has, he's asked to do the most on the recruiting front. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's still learning. You know, this is sec- that was his second year calling plays. There's questions about if other people involved in play calling. We don't want to get into all that, but uh, certainly there. Um, but I think he's fine. I don't think it's hurting as a wide receiver coach. I think he's been fine there. And I think it'll be fine as a tight end coach too. Like, how, you know, John Baxter doing that. Like how, I don't know, like what kind of specialty is there? I think you're talking about Kiri Colbert. Just because you played a position doesn't mean that's where you have to coach. Um, you know, we've seen coaches play different positions and coach different things. We've seen coaches that never coached, played a football in their life and they're good coaches. So, um, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that's not going to work just because he played wide receiver and it was a special team for special teams. Yeah. I think, um, you know, they, they put a lot of resources into that. Is there going to be big changes there? I don't think so. Um, so yeah, I think I, I, I hear your concern with that one. That's something I've kind of harped on a lot. And as far as what, you know, this is Clay Hilton is sticking to what he knows and his philosophies and. There's been a lot of success, and I think that's what he's using as justification. It's like, hey, I don't need to change anything. I'm having great success by doing this. Now, there's problems for sure, but he's not at this point. It's not to the point where he's going to make some wholesale changes to correct those problems. Um, he's sticking to his plan, and uh, you know, right or wrong, he's going to fail or succeed with his philosophy. And I agree with you. I think they should go out and hire you know, more proven head coaches, I mean, assistant coaches, especially when you have a, a greener head coach. Um, we saw what uh, Justin Wilcox did at Cal. He, had, he hired two head coaches at his, as his coordinators. I love that. Like, you're going out and those are guys that could replace you. Um, that's not been the philosophy for Clay Helton. He's going to sink or swim with it. You know, like, if if this doesn't work this year and all of those concerns that everyone has had comes to, to fruition and it's true like man you should have hired more experienced guys here you should have done this i don't think there's going to be a second chance um i do think lin swan would make some sort of move so like i said i wouldn't be surprised if that happened but he's you know that's his philosophy so if you're going to go down swinging i, I think you'd rather go down with your own philosophy than with somebody else's i, I do think he's close i think a lot of what he does is really good with a few tweaks i don't think we're seeing the tweaks um, and you know, well, that could ultimately prove to be his undoing. We're just gonna have to wait and see. But I think a lot of fans are in your same boat, Jeff, where they're kind of over it. And the problem is the timing for all of this happening with Sam Darnold leaving and the Coliseum renovation. Um, that's also upset a lot of USC fans. It's not the best right now because of that. So, um, if the team struggles a little bit, I think it's going to be worse in 2018 than it would be in other years, uh, because of everything else that's kind of going on. All right. Lamar in the high desert in Lancaster. Hey, Trojan fans. The media and fan expectations of the program differ with the USC administration. USC seems satisfied with completing the conference championships. I'm sorry, with competing for conference championships. And maybe that's enough. I don't think the administration sees overspending slash uh, retaining top-level coordinators and assistants as a top priority for the university at large. Uh, 
redoing the stadium for wine, cheese, and crackers isn't inclusive. The fan base is diverse. Other schools in the Southeast and the middle of the country make football its top priority with the fan in mind. That could be a morally incorrect approach to budgeting a university. The alums at USC appear to be fine with West Coast dominate, uh, dominance. Unless the admin changes approach to business, SC will always compete but have a very hard time winning a title. If what I described is right on, Clay's job is secure. And if not, they'll want him to do more with less. The The team's line play is deficient. Team toughness is questioned. The program needs more support from the school and the fan slash media expectations are lofty. Am I correct? Lamar in the high desert. Yeah, I think a lot of that, uh, I think a lot of that is correct. I think there's inherent built in um, advantages for being USC on recruiting, on everything else. Um, and I think you can get a lot of success just by being pretty good. And I think USC had some pretty bad hires in the past. Clay Helton is a competent, smart, uh, friendly, likable human being. And if you think that he's not that great of a football coach, like he's still done a bunch. He did more than Kiffin or Sark did, um, you know, winning the Rose Bowl and, and winning the Pac 12 and all of that. So if you, if you th- don't think he's exceptional, but you think he's just pretty good or whatever, you have a pretty good head coach. Like you can do good things at USC just because of all the built in advantages, you know? Um, there are those there. Uh, yeah, I get the whole wine and cheese stuff. It's people talk about that tower being for the one percenters. It's pretty elite. I mean, you're talking about, $10 million investment to get in that thing. Um, yeah, I think I, I understand why it's upsetting a lot of the USC fans and you're taking away so many of the, the really good seats. But um, I think in general, as a fan, what's your goal? You want to win a national championship. I think Lynn Swan wants to win a national championship. Does the administration, does the, does, does football, I mean, the, the, the president, do they want to do that or do they just want to, not be embarrassed by the football team and have it be a, a big part of the university that the fans love and the alumni and everything without kind of going all out and saying, you know, if we win one, that's great, but we're not going to do everything in our power to make sure that happens. I think that's fair. I don't see them doing everything in their power to make sure that happens where if you're at Georgia or Clemson or, or Alabama, like you are. So are you going to be able to compete with those schools on when, if you, if this team does make it to a playoff, I mean, Probably not unless those built in advantages really just come through and, uh, and it works because it's, it's, it's not going to be easy. I think the landscape has changed. I mean, Pete Carroll did an amazing job, but he wielded crazy power at USC. I don't think the administration liked it all that much. They don't want a coach like that wielding that kind of power. So would you rather have someone that's more controllable, uh, being the head coach? And hope that they win or go out and get the, the biggest alpha dog ever that you could possibly find and bring him in and let him come in and tear everything up and do it all his way with the complete goal of winning a championship. I think if you ask most USC fans, they would say, bring in me the alpha dog. Bring me the dude that's going to do everything he can to win. I think if you ask the administration or you just look at what the administration has done, that's not the goal. So, yes, there's a description. I think a lot of fans just assume that everyone at USC, the number one thing is win a national championship. 
I don't think that's everybody's goal. I think there's other goals that are more important. I think they, it's not like they would, don't want to, but they're not putting everything or as much as you possibly could into doing that. Sorry, that was a little long, but Jim B. Awesome podcast. Thank you, Jim. Connor Murphy and Wally Patiku, were they just a bust? Uh, I think it's too early to say. Um, we'd like to see more development from them for sure. I think you might see more of them uh, this year. We, we'll have to wait and see. Also, Nathan, Nathan, Nathan Smith, the offensive tackle, is he still projected to be a starter someday? Thanks and fight on. Um, so he's a red shirt sophomore. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think he's going to be, you know, in the mix a little bit. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of a shakeup and you know, there'll be some, a little bit of turnover, but there's a lot of guys returning with experience, you know, on the offensive line. You don't see much of a rotation there either. So he's going to compete this spring, uh, for sure. We'll see what ends up happening, but I think he's probably behind, uh, more guys as far as like, I wouldn't project him as being a starter at this point. Hey guys, uh, this is from Anthony. Great stuff. Quick question. The, the Jack Jones development. How important is his game going to have to develop now that he's going to be in that veteran role? Anthony, fight on from Anthony 90042. Okay. Um, yeah, like, uh, I think he's played pretty well at times. There was definitely some, some lulls. There were some up and downs. I think with all USC cornerback play last year. Uh, I don't think you're going to see him play any offense. I think you're going to, if people have asked that before, I think you're going to focus on the defensive side. Um, we'll see if he still involved in special team stuff with uh return game and all that. Some of the games, he just played way too many plays. Then they kind of backed off that uh, a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think it's important. I mean, he's going to be, you know, a veteran there, but you still got uh, Iman Marshall. Um, you know, he'll be a veteran as well. Uh, it's, there's not a lack of talent in the secondary, but we've, I think you've definitely could say there was been a lack of results. So it's another one of those guys that you want to see develop more and you want to see the coaches be able to coach him up and, uh, and make him better. Um, because he's a five star guy coming in. Has he played like a whole lot better since he got to USC? You know, probably not. So I think that's going to be important for him going forward. Lloyd says, not a Clay Helton fan. Remember Helton saying the team was going to be physical. I'm still waiting. The team has very little, if any, discipline, and that's on the head coach. USC won on talent last year because the coaching was not very good. I read that three people called plays. Uh, T called the first two downs, and Tyson called third down, and Clay called fourth down. Is that true? Because third and fourth down didn't go very well from Lloyd. So Lloyd's not very happy. Um, I think there was definitely more. I think there was three people involved in play calling. Not all the time. It's not like clear cut, but there was... There was definitely uh, more of that. I thought that would be kind of cleaned up with Tyson Hilton leaving in the bowl game, but it still looked kind of confused. So we're going to try to get some answers uh, and get some more um, explanations as far as how that all went, not just in the Cotton Bowl, but you know throughout the season and, and going forward. And if that is a problem where multiple people are, are involved in that, and and remember, you know, both Tyson and T were up in the in the press box. They called down. And if Clay wanted to override something, he definitely could. So uh, he was the guy on the field where those guys were up in the box. So they couldn't call the play directly, even if they wanted to. Uh, it had to go through Clay. So, all right. Another one about coaching. This is, uh, appears that T and Clay will be at USC unless they fail miserably. As USC fans, we certainly don't want that. Your mission may, may be impossible, but it'll be up to your team to see what Clay and T improve as coaches. You need to ask questions 
in which Clay and T cannot evade with BS statistics, which makes it sound like as though the coaching is good. We need more questions which require in-depth answers. I believe that Clay and T will not improve unless they are able to talk about what they need to do to improve. In the past, the post-game pressers did little to indicate that either was a good coach. Uh, what can you and your team do to further Helton and Martin's coaching abilities? Keeley is very good with making players explain their answers rather than accepting them on face value. We need that technique when questioning Helton and, and Martin. Uh, he said Helton and Martin are a good name for a comedy act, uh, Don. Okay, Don. Well, first of all, my job is not to improve the coaching. <laughs> my job is to report on the team. And that's the job of our all whole team. We're not here to try to like, what can I do to make Clay Helton a better coach? Um, that's really not my job. Uh, they get paid way, way, way more than me or anyone on my staff. Like they're, that's, they're way out of my pay grade. So that's not what we're trying to do at all. I think we, we always try to ask tough questions. You can't force anyone to answer anything. I mean, watch what Bill, Bill Belichick says. Um, when you ask him kind of questions, there, there are certainly a lot better than that, but I would say, um, no, this is not our, that's not our gig. We're not like powwowing, like, okay, how can I make Clay Helton a better coach today? But, uh, interesting idea. I mean, you can, if you want to, I mean, you can write in your suggestions to Lynn Swan or the coaches and, and see if they say anything to you, but, uh, that's not really our job. And that's not really something I, I would feel comfortable doing. Those guys have been coaching football their whole lives. We're just reporting on it. And we do our very best to report, you know, everything we see. We make observations. We ask questions. Um, you know, we do analysis. Uh, I remember Steve Sarkeesian got mad at me asking about, uh, why USC didn't blitz all that much. And I had, you know, got some data that USC blitzed fewer than any team in the power five. Now I wasn't asking that to try to make him a better coach. I was asking that because USC had all these athletes and they were not blitzing very often. And it was like, well, why aren't you doing that? So, I mean, we'll ask that kind of stuff and, you know, but we're not doing it trying to make them better. We're doing that trying to report and, and, you know, on our observations. And we've seen a lot of practices. We've seen a lot of games. And, uh, if something looks fishy, looks weird, looks funny, then we, we ask about it. And that's what we do. Uh, M-P-R-O-N, in light of all the discussions about Coach Clay Helton promoting guys like Ellis, I had a thought. Do you suppose maybe Helton had, conversations with his brother and thoughts about him looking around to become a coordinator uh, popped up. So Clay Helton brought in uh, Brian Ellis, just in case as an, as I understand from the podcast, he went through quite a bit to get Ellis to USC, but then again, that would require, require Helton to have foresight, which most don't think he has fight on M P R O N. Yeah, I think uh, he did. Now, Brian Ellis was one of the, like one of the few people that didn't go, to Purdue, uh, after their tenure at Western Kentucky, he was the, uh, running, uh, wide receivers coach. And then Jeff Brom got the job at, uh, Purdue. And some of the guys stayed on like, uh, Nick Holt and stuff. And I think, um, I think Brom brought just about everybody over except Ryan Ellis. Um, so I don't think you would have to go through a lot of hoops to hire him as, uh, a coach. Because I mean, he really only had, he had one year of experience uh, as a position coach in D one, so um, I don't think he had to go through too much. But I, I mean, that's something that he wanted to do. But really, I think it's just more about that was someone he was comfortable with and bringing him in. And um, if it was with the point of 
promoting him later. I mean, mission accomplished. He did that. Would I recommend doing that? I know. I think I thought he was great as, you know, a great guy to come in and be an analyst. You know, you, you hired a position coach at Western Kentucky to be an analyst at USC. Like that, that seems right. You know, okay, that's good. Um, and then down the road, you know, maybe promote him and stuff like that. Um, you know, he ended up promoting him right away, you know, after a year or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a little strange. I think, like I said, it's not bad to promote from within sometimes. I think it's just going to happen too much. And the fact that he's another Western Kentucky guy is just a hot button for many USC fans. So I think that's why I think that's kind of part of the problem. Uh, there's one from Terry and kind of following along. What are the responsibilities and duties of quality control coaches? Um, yeah, it's a really, that's <laughs> a really good question. I think it's kind of a catch all term and I think a lot of them do sort of different things. Now there's, there's roles that they're allowed to do and there's roles they're not allowed to do. Like they're not allowed to go on the road, uh, recruiting. Um, now we see some guys like Gavin Morris doing that from his, you know, it's a different support role, but it's basically they're part of the support staff. Um, you know, for Brian Ellis specifically, he was helping out with Tyson Helton. Uh, so he's not the assistant coach. He's not the guy that's, you know, uh, if he was calling plays or anything like that, but he's, He's helping the guy out. So he's, you know, it's really just part of, he's on the support staff and there's a bunch of different names for, for guys on the support staff. Um, but you know, usually you're helping out with some of the, you know, full-time position coaches and there's, there's regulations of what you can do. Um, you can't do this th- certain things on the field with guys. Uh, you know, you can't be on the road recruiting. There's, there's things like that. Um, all right. Paul in Vegas. This is a subjective question. I wouldn't mind, uh, Asking the whole group, but I want to get Ryan's thoughts first. Well, it's still a podcast. You just get mine. But he said, because certain position groups had shortcomings last season, we tend to question coach jobs in areas like corners, offensive line, and special teams in particular. Having thought about this at length, it seems to me the offense regressed more last season and the defense advanced. So I'm asking, can that be put on the respective coordinators? In your opinion, Ryan, did Clancy do an overall good job and T maybe not so much? We all love T, but do you sense he might not be the best offensive coordinator we could have hired? Subjective question to be sure. Uh, have you considered the issue, Paul, in Vegas? Yeah, would T was, I would, you know, I like T Martin to death and I think he's a, a really good coach. Um, he was certainly not the best offensive coordinator you could have hired because he'd never been an offensive coordinator before. He never called plays. So yes, you could have easily hired, um, a hundred guys with more experience than him. Um, so I, you know, I, I would think on the offensive side, it's a little more split up. Um, it's not necessarily like T Martin's running the whole thing. You got Clay Helton, who's an offensive guy and was the offensive coordinator. I think it's more of a, if you look at the scheme on offense, I wouldn't say it's a T Martin trickle down thing. It's, I think it's more. It's much more muddled than that. On the defensive side, I think it's pretty clear. This is Clancy Pendergast's system. This is what he does. Everyone follows his lead. So I give Clancy a lot of credit for a lot of the success the defense have had. I do say, and I've said it before and said it on this podcast, you probably did more with less. I would give you know Clancy credit or you could give him blame if they're, they're sucking or whatever. Uh, that's his system on defense. I don't think you can say the same thing about T. Martin on offense. It's just not... It's not like, like Clay, Clay said, all right, T, 
implement whatever your system is and do it. It's, that just wasn't the way it was. So I think it's kind of apples and oranges to kind of compare those two. But um, I like the job that Clancy Pendergast has done. It doesn't work every game. It's not perfect all the time, but he's got a system in place. I would love to see more rotation. And there, there's there's things you could change, but he's got a philosophy. And I think we've seen it work pretty well in a lot of the games, you know. And and sometimes it blows up or whatever, but um, – He's, he's got a plan and I like that. And he goes with the plan and he sticks with the plan and it works more often than it doesn't, in my opinion. Alex, uh, don't listen to the outside noise. The podcast is great. I love the mix of voicemails, emails and podcast regulars, the two Tareks with the, oh, so thanks. Yeah. So there were some people saying that we read too many questions, but really like this, this whole podcast has been based on that. And if you're, you're listening at this point, I've, all I've done is, is answer questions basically. So <laughs> you probably don't mind it. With the programming on ESPN and Sports Radio Boston, you'd think the Pats never made the playoffs. You'd get some, you'd, you'd get something unique. You've got something unique. Sorry. The content is great for football fans, even college football fans from Mass. Keep up the great work. Uh, Alex. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate that. Yeah. I think, I think for the most part, once a few people kind of complained, we got feedback from a lot of other people that are like, no, we like it. And, uh, I definitely want to try and I will do in the offseason more me interviewing people podcast than all question answering podcast. And we, you know, we had record numbers of questions this year. And if it keeps growing, like we're not going to be able to answer them all. I try, I do my best to try to answer them. And just shows like this where we had so many kind of questions came in that didn't really fit into any other category. I thought I'd just do my best to, to answer them all. So I'm knocking out a lot of them today. Uh, we got like three more. How long have we been going, man? This is, uh, it's kind of long over an hour for a solo podcast. Crazy. But we did have a lot of questions, so uh, almost done. Ron in Northern Virginia, I love. I also love Michael's idea of a Rooney rule for USC hires. Okay, so a little background, just in case you missed this before. Michael Castillo of uh, Rain of Troy fame uh, kind of took my idea and put a little spin on it. My idea was, okay, USC can no longer hire any coach that had anything to do with USC ever. So my thinking behind that was, You've, there's too many people you've hired that are because they're familiar, you know, um, hire someone that's not familiar. Then you can only go by their resume. So you wouldn't go hire a, uh, like mediocre offensive coordinator from, uh, Kansas to be your head coach unless you knew him. Right. So he wouldn't be on your, your radar. You'd have to go out and hire someone with experience, like a really good assistant coach or a guy with head coaching experience. So my rule was like, just stop hiring people that you're familiar with, go outside the bubble and bring them in. Now there are people argue like chemistry has a lot to do with it and all that stuff. I, I, I don't buy into it too much. It's like how much chemistry do you need? Do you need everybody to be friends and, and know the fight song? Well, anyway, Michael's idea was make a Rooney rule that you don't have to hire someone like that, but you have to interview a couple of people like that. And I, I like that compromise too. Um, he said, however, have you considered that one program or one problem in attracting top coaches to USC is because of the ongoing questions about Clay Helton being the right coach for the job after back to back 10 win seasons and a Pac-12 title? He's still considered a questionable coach by the fans in Lynn Swan. Given this atmosphere, how likely would top talent on a personnel level, uh, or I'm sorry, or on a personal level, you and your staff be willing to tell your spouses that you want to take a new job in a new city if you knew your future boss was on the hot seat. Love uh, all that you uh, 
Love all that you and fight on. I think he meant love all that you do and fight on Ron in Northern Virginia. Hey, Ron, I think this is a, a really good point that's completely false. Okay. So I see people bring this up all the time. Uh, people I respect, uh, bring this up. You talk to Dylan McCullough. I talked to him before he got to USC. He was tickled pink. Now, if he was coming from Indiana this year, I can guarantee you he would still be tickled pink. Why? He was a great running backs coach at Indiana. He was trying to get dudes from SEC country to come to Indiana. And he's a great recruiter. Sold them on everything. Did Bent over backwards to, about the guys he put in the NFL, how he developed players. He had something great to sell, except he was at Indiana. And they're like, at the end, nope, I'm going to Auburn. And he told me guys, I forget the, the guy's name, but he told me a dude that like, Two years later was like, I wish I came to you in Indiana. But he had to try to convince a dude that could have gone to Auburn to go to Indiana. You know how hard that is? It's very hard. Now, you get some of them to work, but for the most part, you're missing. He comes to USC. All those built-in inherent advantages I talked about, all those Heismans, all that stuff, that's what's important. When people say, what if USC hired fired Clay Helton after two years? How could you get a good head coach after that? Because it's USC and because an alpha guy, if you went out and wanted to get an alpha guy, if it was Urban Meyer or Chip Kelly or whatever, he doesn't give a crap that you fired a former interim coach after two years. Like they don't care about that. They're like, this is USC. I can succeed here. Uh, if Urban Meyer, when he went to Ohio State, if they, you know, fired two guys in a row, is he going to go? Yeah, things are, they just had a tough run of coaches. Why would I want to go there? No, of course he wants to go there. It's Ohio State. Like, it's Notre Dame. It's USC. It's Texas. Like, yes, you you want to go there. It's an alpha location. And alpha coaches, if you go out and try to hire those guys, want to go there. And so, no, I, I don't think you have to worry, Ron, about um, attracting top coaches because Clayton's on the hot seat. If you want, if it's a guy that's like, he comes in and thinks he could be the next head coach, you know, like, heck. Uh, no, so I don't think that's a problem at all. Um, you want, if you want to like uproot yourself and you're going to Iowa State and the, the coach is on the hot seat, you maybe think about it. Not now, not every coach. There might be a coach or two out there that are like, yeah, I, I don't want to move my family and potentially not be there for, for five years. If you're talking about a guy that's trying to get upward, upwardly mobile and you're going from, a middle of the road Big 12 program to the top dog in the Pac 12. Yeah. That, then that's a risk you're willing to take. I get that maybe the head coach is going to be fired in a year, but I might stay on. Heck, I might be the next head coach. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And a lot of people say that, but I, I can't be any more clear. You're talking about an alpha program with built in advantages. That's what's more important. Not what some first year athletic director did to a former uh interim head coach that you know potentially could go down the line like that just to me that's just not that's not how an alpha dog is thinking about it if he's trying to become a coach at USC uh we got another one from Curtis uh he said coach Helton should keep much of the last coach's philosophy 3 yards after contact rotate backs to keep uh I'm sorry so did i say I might have said, this is a really long podcast. I'm sorry. I might have said, uh, coach Hyde. I meant, so Curtis is saying, 
Coach Clay Helton should keep much of the last coach's philosophy, three yards after contact, rotate backs to keep them fresh, make them gain weight in the offseason or recruit bigger backs in the first place, and all the great drills and video of, of this and all of his gadgets. So he's talking, okay, so he's talking about, he didn't mention Dylan McCullough by name, but he's talking about the running backs coach and Dylan McCullough now, who's now moved on to the Kansas City Chiefs. Maybe this is the time to hire an assistant on staff already mimicking the strategy as long as Clay has a team. Fight on Curtis and Marino Valley. Okay. So this, maybe you put something in the subject and, uh, uh, we didn't copy this down into our document, but, um, this is about the running backs coach. I don't think there's really anyone staff that could do that unless you're talking about moving um, uh, one of the current assistant coaches over, like Johnny Nansen, moving him over. I do love a lot of the stuff that he brought, um, the drills and and all that. Uh, we'll see if Clay Hilton. I mean, if he liked it, I think he would like it. If he wants to keep that around, but if you bring in a you know an outside running backs coach, he might have his own philosophy. So um, I think that would be hard to kind of make him do those kind of things. You might have his own different things that work equally as well. We'll have to see. One last one is from Don. Uh, since players that have signed with one school and flipped to another is becoming more commonplace, do you think the NCAA will institute a policy that will punish the school who flips the sign recruit, such as a loss of scholarship? Okay, so uh, we're not seeing signed players flip. We're seeing committed players, verbally committed players flip. Which a verbal commitment means absolutely nothing. Squad douche. Nada. You're not seeing a whole lot. It's not like this, you know, epidemic of sign players. Now, with the early signing period and coaching changes coming around, you know, coaching changes happening like Arizona, you could see more of that potentially happening. Now, it's kind of rare, uh, and you have to petition all this kind of stuff, but I don't think, Don, that's a real big problem. And you're not punishing the school who flipped the recruit. Uh, if you flip a recruit, a verbal commitment, I mean, that's just the way it goes. Like there's nothing uh, else you can do there. But I think there, you know, there's talk about rule changes of letting players transfer after a coaching change, um, which I do like. I get that there's some problems there, but I pretty much any rule that helps the players, I like. Um, you know, does it prevent you from having coaches switch jobs more? Like are you less likely to fire somebody if, you're going to lose a, a bunch of dudes. I don't know. I mean, we'll, you know, you have to wait and see. I don't, you know, we'll see if that ends up going through, but, um, that, you know, that could, you know, cause some concern, I think, uh, you know, going forward. But when you have, you're talking about guys, players signing and then a few weeks later, the coach is fired, like what happens in Arizona. You know, if they didn't hire someone big, what if they brought in Herm Edwards instead of Kevin Sumlin? Um, and all the players weren't excited. I think for the most part, the guys that signed at Arizona were pretty excited Kevin Sutherland was coming in. But um, if they hired someone that was kind of a dud, would a bunch of those players want to transfer or get out of their letter of intent that they had already signed? You know, We'll have to wait and see. But that was the first kind of thing that really happened along those lines, and it was, uh, was going to be interesting to see where it goes from there. All right. Man, hour and 20 minutes of a solo podcast. My voice is done. Haven't done one of these for a while. Mostly these were during the season, but I appreciate you hanging in there and uh, listening with us. It's give you a little something to listen to over the weekend. I, you know, I'm glancing through my podcast that I listen to and not as many, you know, I'm mostly college football podcasts. Not as many get produced, uh, during the off season. Um, so yeah, you know, it gives you a little something, a little some extra something to listen to. So hope you, uh, 
enjoy that. But I, I've enjoyed this. Thank you for all the questions. Uh, really good stuff. Really good thoughts. You guys always come with some really interesting takes and, uh, hopefully you liked what I had to say about all of that. All right. Well, we're going to sign off. Enjoy your weekend. Last big official visit weekend. Big week of uscfootball.com. You make sure you go there. Signing day is always huge. Uh, we'll have a full team out getting interviews, updates, stories, videos, photos, all that kind of stuff. Let's see who USC closes off this recruiting class with. It will be an interesting finish for sure. All right. This is Ryan Abraham. Follow me on Twitter and inside Troy signing out. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.